Well, as we dive back into the book of Acts, it's uh, really fascinating what Stephen's going to bring up today with uh, these Jewish leaders. And because it really relates to us too, we are very easily uh, enticed by things that, that aren't God. Uh, we easily prioritize uh, lesser things, looking for uh, satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasures and happiness and uh, things that we make ultimate in our life. Like we, we need to have those things to be happy kind of a thing. And, and then spiritual blindness can set in and then now we start deepening and, and strengthening our desires for those lesser things. So rather than have those things in sort of a proper place, proper orbit, we, our, our, our hearts become hardened because we have to have them, we need them to have happiness. And so now we strengthen even those desires. And a scary thing can happen when our hearts get hard and our desires for lesser things become so insatiable that now it drives us. A scary thing can happen. God might actually give us what we want. When we set our minds and our hearts on things and we make them ultimate, and we say, I, I have to have that, Lord. For me to be happy, for me to have satisfaction, fulfillment, I, I have to have that. A scary thing is that God might actually give that to you. He might hand us over to our pursuits. Even if those things are against him and they bring destruction to our life, he might allow us actually to pursue even sin. In the last few weeks, as we've been following the story with Stephen, we've been seeing Stephen build this kind of subtle case against the Jewish leaders, reminding them of, of their people's own past, their past habit of rejecting the prophets that God has sent. And in this sort of subtle case building, uh, he's been giving them warnings. And today we're going to see another one of these warnings. And he gives them a warning to turn from this hardness of heart and turn towards the one that God has sent. So today we're going to be going through his final thoughts in this, uh, you call it a sermon, call it a speech. But we're in his final thoughts. This is the on-ramp that leads up to his final accusations, is what we're going to see today. And any subtlety that has been there in the last couple sermons, that subtlety is going to be thrown out the window. It's gone. And though we're going to also get to the end result today, which is going to lead to his martyrdom, we're going to cover his death and martyrdom next week, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll read it today, but we're going to be covering the on-ramp that leads up to that uh, and, and look at some of the warnings that he gives right before his death. So allow me to pray, and we're going to jump into, um, uh, it's going to be chapter 7, verse 42, all the way to the end of the chapter. Lord, as we open your word, we ask that it would speak directly to our hearts, that it would bring light to the darkened parts of our hearts and our minds, that it would show us the lesser things that we're pursuing that are robbing us really of joy, getting us off path, hardening our hearts, causing spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness to set in. We need your help in this because we uh, we're, in many ways, we're, we're ignorant of these things. We can't see them or hear them. And we're going to see that very thing today in Stephen's words. So help us. Cause your word to open eyes and ears and hearts today. 
that we can walk in freedom, walk in wholeness, and walk towards you and all the good blessings and great joys and peace that you have for us. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in your son's mighty name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 7, verse 42. So this is Stephen again, continuing. He just talked about Joseph and correlated that, kind of subtly pointing towards Jesus. Then he talked about Moses, subtly again pointing towards Jesus and pointing out how the uh, Jewish leaders historically have always rejected those people. You guys rejected Joseph, rejected Moses. And now he says in verse 42, and God turned away and gave them, gave the Jews historically, gave them over to worship the host of heaven, meaning just heavenly bodies, planets, stars. God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it's written in the book of the prophets. This is now God speaking. Did you bring to me slain beasts? And sacrifices during their 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, a false god, and the star of your god Rephan, another false god. So he's saying, you guys, you guys went away from me during those 40 years. You stopped bringing me sacrifices. You started bringing sacrifices to your false gods. The images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. That was the, the discipline, the punishment for that. Our fathers, this is Stephen now, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. They had the tabernacle. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. So this is God's ordination. Make for me this tent of witness. Carry it with you as you travel through the wilderness for 40 years according to the pattern that he had seen. Now our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So they brought it into the promised land. And so it was, that was the case, they had this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, until the days of David. Now David found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So David asked God, can I build you a permanent temple instead of this tent thing? And God said, you can collect the materials, but since you're a man of war, uh, I'm going to let your son build it. So it was Solomon who actually built the house, built the temple the physical temple, not this temporary tent, but the physical temple, built it for him. Yet, he says, so Stephen's kind of saying, so because part of the accusation against Stephen was that he was blaspheming the temple, right? Now, Stephen's kind of making a point here, saying, yet the Most High doesn't actually dwell in houses made by hands. And he quotes the prophet that says, where God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So God's saying, I'm not confined to this building, the building's actually more for you to interact with me. It's not for me. Heaven's my, my throne. Earth's my footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So, so Stephen's kind of pointing out, like, I, I'm not really blaspheming the temple because God, God isn't confined to this. You guys, the temple's important, but you guys are elevating it to a place that's far more important than what you actually think. So he's kind of showing them things by using Scripture, showing them how their attitude about the temple has actually gone astray. And here's where the gloves come off. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Name one. Name one of God, the people that God sent that your fathers did not persecute. 
And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So he's saying, God sent the righteous one. You betrayed him. You murdered him. You who received the law, you guys were the keepers of the law as delivered by angels, and yet you did not keep it. You're accusing me of breaking the law? No, 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 no. You guys just broke the law. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar? And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen, as he has been, he's drawing parallels with these current Jewish leaders and their forefathers who disobeyed God and rejected people that God had sent, Moses, Joseph specifically. And up till now, he's been challenging many of their points. And there really isn't anything that they don't believe. He's actually affirming, they're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, God isn't confined to a building, that's true, yeah. He's got a point there. But then they're kind of like, but, but, but what, what is your point though, Stephen? So what are, you, what are you getting at? And that's when Stephen finally shows his hand and reveals the attention and the aim of his speech when he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised your heart, you killed the righteous one. That's just, this is where Stephen turns the big corner. This is his point of no return in his speech, and he makes this point in his sermon clear. Just like your fathers who killed the prophets, you killed Jesus, and Jesus is the capital P prophet, the one that Moses promised, the one that we've been waiting for all this time. He's the son of man. I'm not the one breaking the law here. You're the ones breaking God's law. You killed the chosen one of God. And so now when they heard this, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And of course, rather than a fair trial, surprise, surprise, mob violence ensues. They rush to him. Because it was against God's law to execute within the city walls, they took him outside the city walls took off their robes and their tunics because they had to, you know, get their arms ready, picked up stones, and they executed him, which we'll look more at next week. Stephen makes his charge clear, calls him stiff-necked. That's a common Old Testament phrase that the Lord himself actually would speak oftentimes to the people, most commonly through Moses. It's a phrase that kind of shows this, this stubbornness, this unwillingness to turn from sin, an unwillingness to turn from your own ways and turn towards the Lord. So it's like, uh, kids, kids, you ever, you guys ever get in trouble at home? Okay, yeah, a bunch of loud yeses in the back. Um, and, you know, sometimes kids, you, you kind of look down, you look away, you know, you don't want to make eye contact with your parents. Then maybe your mom or your dad says, I want you to look at me when I'm talking to you. And then you kind of maybe do something like this, you just kind of like peek up like that. You don't, you don't turn your neck and look straight in their eyes, as you should, but you just kind of do this thing like here, and then you look away. Your, your neck is stiff, right? You're just like, I'm not going to look at you, mom and dad. 
and you just kind of like glance up. That, this is kind of the picture. We are so stiff-necked sometimes. We don't want to change direction of where we're looking. We just have our eyes focused, and we do not want to look over here, over there. We don't want to acknowledge anyone else because we are set in our ways. That's what Stephen's saying to these guys. That's what God says to these guys when he's spoken this in the Old Testament. You are stiff-necked people. You're stubborn in all of your ways. I call to you over here. You don't even turn. You just act like you don't hear me. You just move along. Nothing to see here. Nothing to hear here. The Lord's calling you to repent of something. You just, your neck is just stiff. Won't let you turn your mind towards the Lord. He also calls them uncircumcised in their heart and ears. It's an interesting phrase. For the Jews, circumcision was an outward sign, something done that would hopefully, done in, in, a, in a baby, that would hopefully eventually turn into something that would be uh, inward faith in the future. A reminder, kind of this memorial. And it hopefully would become something to point towards inward faith. But just because a Jew was circumcised didn't mean automatically that his heart, as he got older, was in love with the Lord. Now, this was just an outward mark. Now, similarly, maybe for us, whether it's baptism or church attendance, serving in church, going to community group, or just saying, I'm a Christian... Right? That's something you can do outwardly. Something that human hands can do. Human hands can open up a Bible. Human hands uh, can, can get themselves to church. Human hands can raise their hands and worship. That's just what human hands can do. And so here, for these Jews that are hearing this speech from Stephen, human hands, through doctors, can circumcise a baby. But who can circumcise a heart? Who can do that? We can't do that. That's not, that's not a thing. Who, who can cause ears to be circumcised, to be made alive, to be opened, able to receive and hear and love the word of God? Can you cause your own ears to hear and just love the word of God? Can you cause your kids' ears to hear and love the word of God? We, we can't do that. We can't just will that into existence. So this phrase... It's found also in other parts of the Old Testament as I mentioned, but one specific place I want to draw you to is Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. The Lord says, To whom? Whom shall I speak and give warning? So this is, this is warning. Just like Stephen, this is warning. Who can I speak to and give this warning, but that they'll actually hear the warning? So if you're sitting here today, you should be saying to yourself, I want to hear this warning. And I can't... I can't just cause myself to hear the warning. God, would you help me hear this warning today? The Lord's like, who can I speak to to give this warning that they can hear? Behold, he says, their ears are uncircumcised. They can't listen. Right? The words are going in. It's bouncing around in there. You hear, you, can, you know I'm speaking English. You know what I'm saying technically. But your ears are uncircumcised. You can't listen. And so the Lord is saying... So these guys, and this time, you might be circumcised outwardly for us, maybe baptized, call yourself a Christian, go to a physical church building, but behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. When you hear the word, you just go, yeah, I know. Ah, yeah, I just don't, don't judge me. Don't, that just feels like condemnation and that's just a bunch of rules. I, I, I know I should be doing that, but it's just, it's scorn to you. 
Your ears are, are deafened. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. They don't take pleasure in God's word. They don't love God's word. They don't want to receive God's word. I, church, I can't sugarcoat that at all. If you don't take pleasure in the word of God, you have to ask yourself, am I truly circumcised in my heart and in my ears? Now, I know that there are days, I know there are moments when it seems like the cover of your Bible is the heaviest thing on the planet. I know there's, so I'm not talking about days and moments, but if you look back and you say, oh yeah, I became born again, I I call myself a Christian since I was 12 or or for the last six, seven years, but I don't really read the word. That's, you know, and I, and I don't know where that cutoff is. I don't, there's no cutoff, like, oh, if it's longer than a week, then you have to be really concerned. I don't, you know. That's for you to examine your heart with the Lord, right? If you look back at your history and go, yeah, I don't, I don't really love the word of God, you need to be concerned. The Lord is saying through Jeremiah, as well as now through Stephen, when our hearts are hardened, when we're stiff-necked, when we're stubborn, when our hearts are blinded, when our ears are uncircumcised, we can't hear the word of God. We, we can read it, we can understand it, but we can't hear it. We can't believe it because we don't love it. Because we just don't love it. God's word becomes something that's an object of scorn to us, not an object of love. It's something actually that bothers us or annoys us. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear when people remind us of God's truth and promise. We go, Ugh, it just makes me cringe. Someone sends you a text with a verse, you just go, Ugh. you know, like that should concern us. That should concern us. And it's quite telling in the story here, isn't it? When Stephen says this, what do the people do? They cover their ears. They don't want to hear it. Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. The word of God was a scorn to them. And they covered their ears like little kids. I don't want to hear this. And they rushed together at him. They don't want to hear this. They are resisting the Holy Spirit, which is the third thing that he says. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. I read this from a couple weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Church family, brothers and sisters, Life Mission Church, kids, Adults, moms, dads, husbands, wives, take care. Think about this. Dwell on this. Take this serious. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Same same language here, right? Uncircumcised heart, hardened heart. An evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is, this is possible. We can be led astray from God. So instead, what we ought to do is to exhort one another, encourage, give strong encouragement to each other. And, and, and take that encouragement. You get that text with that scripture, someone tells you, take that exhortation. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened. 
stiff-necked by the deceitfulness of sin, the trickery and deception of sin. So again, same lingo here that we're seeing Stephen use, that we're seeing in Jeremiah chapter 6. It is so easy for us to become so hard and to become stiff-necked. It doesn't take long for sin's deception to go to work in us. And Stephen's warning to the Jewish leaders is scary and should put some, some fear in us. Stephen warned these leaders what could happen when we harden our hearts towards them. Speaking again of their forefathers who rejected the prophets, who rejected Moses, rejected God, he points out that instead of worshiping in the tent of the Lord, God's people chose to bring in these sacrifices and worship in the tent of idols. God's people did this. They chose to go chase after these other idols, these other things, lesser things, even in some thing, ways, things that God created, the stars in the sky. Good things God has made, but their hearts were drawn away. They were hardened and stiff-necked. So look again at verse 42 here. God turned away and gave them over. So he allowed them. He said, okay, I'm going to turn away. You want to go that way? Go worship your gods? I'm going to let you go that way. That's your choice. You want that more than me? I'm going to turn away. I'm going to go here. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during your 40 years in the wilderness, house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, the star of your god, Raphon. The images that you made to worship, and I'll send you into exile beyond Babylon. But catch that in verse 42. God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. You want to worship those things? Okay. This is the same language we see in Romans chapter 1. You can go to that because there's four verses I'm going to read here. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Look, look at this language here, this, the, the clarity of this. It says, although they knew God. These are people that they know God exists. Right? You, know, you know God exists. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. So you, you know that God's out there. You know that he exists, but it's one thing to believe in God. It's one thing to honor him as God. And that's reflected in our lives, our worship. So although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but instead they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So again, similar language. Blind, deaf, uncircumcised hearts, ears. They claimed to be wise. And this is... Obviously, this is a commentary on our culture, too. Romans 1 is mostly about the Gentiles. So they claim to be wise, but they became as fools. Right? We start w walking in our own wisdom, doing things our way, not according to God's word. We're ignoring the exhortation of friends and family who love us and love the Lord. We claim to be wise and do our own thing, but we actually we be, are, we're just becoming fools. And now we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's what happened that Stephen's referring to. They turned from God and they turned towards Moloch and the star of Raphon, the host of heavens, right? All the, the things in the air, the birds, animals, creeping things, those are the things they're now worshiping. So therefore, here's what happened then. God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity. He said, you want that? You, you want these various things? You, you're hard-hearted. You don't want me. You're, this is your choice. This is your final answer. You, you want these things. You're ignoring me. You're stiff-necked. God gives them up to, in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, we're going to get to some good news here in a second, I promise. All right? Because I know this is like heavy, getting piled on here. We're going to get to good news. But we have to consider the bad news before we get to the good news. Okay, so sin... As we see in Romans 1 here, we see in Stephen's speech, sin deceives us and we're prone to wander from the truth. So I want you to picture this. Kids, you can picture this too, okay? Use your imagination here. It's story time. Picture you're on a raft, right? You're out in the ocean. Waves are kicking up. You see this island. You know you need to get to the island. You want to get to the island, right? There's food, there's shelter, there's shade. It's a beautiful island. You need to get there, but you're on this raft. And, how, how, but how are you going to get there, right? Do you, you, you start paddling against these waves? They're just pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. You just sit there and just drift and kind of hope that you get to the island. Right, we have to make a choice. And, and most of the time in our lives, honestly, most of the time we do one of two things. We either just nothing. We just go, well, I want this good future. I want to follow the Lord. But we don't do anything about it. We kind of think we're just going to drift towards holiness, drift towards the Lord, drift towards obedience. But that's not how life happens. Waves come in. Temptation comes in. Your desires, other things come in. Other beautiful things, amazing things come in, and they push you away from that island. And we're oftentimes just kind of passive in the whole thing, just going, oh yeah, just, just kind of cruising. The second thing we tend to do, especially as Christians... But not, not only Christians do this, but a lot of us Christians, we start paddling. And we start doing things with our own hands. Trying to just build a temple with our own hands. Trying to do outward things. So we're just trying to paddle against these waves. And within about 15 minutes, we are dead tired, exhausted. We, we, we look to our own self-righteousness, to our own actions, our own activities, our own religious, uh, the things that we do. We try to earn our way and work our way to this island. So those are the two things we tend to do, and they don't work. We are prone to drifting according to what influences us the most. And I, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I hope, I pray that this is not the only time in your week where you're in the Word and in conversation about the Lord and, and hearing songs that uplift you because this is, what, an hour and a half of your week? What else is discipling you and your kids all week long? Right? This is like, the, the waves are the next six days. Right? You come back and you go, you kind of get uplifted here and no, like the waves are out there and they are influencing us each and every day, stiffing in our necks, hardening in our hearts. So we have to be, so we have to figure out, what do we do? Do we just drift for six days and then come to church? Do we paddle as hard as we can and by Monday or Tuesday we're tired and exhausted and just now we're going to drift? I mean, we have, to, we have to figure out how to do this because we are prone to just drift according to what influences us rather than worshiping God rather than going towards him or, or we desire the things he's created more than we desire him rather than trusting in him and, and here's the deal too is that Satan he knows your weaknesses he knows he sees you he knows what you crave he knows that you're you're a people pleaser or you desire comfort he knows what you desire in your heart he watches you he, he knows I know I know their weakness I know what discourages him 
I know what brings him low. I know what, I know what gets him to doubt God. I, I know. I've been, Satan's been doing this a long, 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 long time. He's got a lot of case studies. He, he knows human nature. And rest assured, he is, he is he's scheming, looking for ways to bring in waves of temptation into your life, waves of, of idols, waves of, of your comforts. He would love to bring in opportunities for your flesh to help you get that raft to go in that opposite direction of that island. As long as you don't fight it, those waves of temptation will take you off course. And the scary part to me is that God, at some point, if, if we show no desire to go towards that island, if we go, yeah, you know what? Forget that island. I'm going to just let the, wind, the waves take me. I'm going to actually paddle. I'm going to try to catch one of these waves. That'll be fun. Right now, we're actually enjoying the ride away from the Lord. Right? It's not just like, I, I know I should. It, once we decide we're going this way and we are hardening our hearts, stiffing our necks, not looking towards that island at all, but just going, I'm just going to ride this wave. I'm going to let this thing take me. Now we start going so off course, at some point God might actually give us what we want. You want to ride that wave? You want to go that way? I'm going to give you over to what you desire. He might let us go our way if we continue to harden our hearts, stiffen our necks, if something doesn't change. You want to give your life to something else? You want to give your life to someone else, some other situation? It's going to somehow give you hope and peace and joy and all these things. Money, pleasure, comfort. Maybe it's something uh, more internal, like to, to, to be vindicated. Right? You, you want someone else. You want God to have revenge on someone in your life. And that's just, that's what grips you. You want to be proven right in something. You want to have happiness. Maybe you're holding on to bitterness or you desire companionship or you desire the life that you see other people have on social media. If that's the case, be afraid because God might give you what you want. He might let you just hold on to that and make that into your God. Your heart is setting a trap for you, leading you away from the God who formed you. And then your heart will be continually shaped by those things. Your desires now are going to be shaped by those things. You're going to want those things more because you become addicted to those things. Psalm 135, verse 15 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Again, we have this theme, this work of human hands. So these, these little idols, these little statues, they have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And guess what? Verse 18, the people who make these little idols, they become like them. Chase after idols that have ears and don't hear, that have mouths but don't speak. Have eyes. You also will become blind and deaf spiritually. Hard-hearted, no breath in your mouth and your lungs, dead spiritually. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Money does not give life. Lust does not give life. Comfort can't fulfill the promises that it makes to you. Your desires and your idols, they will shape you, they will form you, they will change you, they will disciple you. You will become like what you worship. You become deaf like them, blind, ignorant, unwise like them. Truth won't come out of your mouth any longer, just lies and deception and manipulation and all the other things. God's word will become a scorn to you. 
mean, think about this. If you, if you give yourself to money or lust or comfort or bitterness, you hold on. Why would you want to read a book that says, take up your cross, die to self, give generously, forgive 70 times 7, lust is adultery in the heart, leads to death. Why would you read a book that says that when these are the idols you hold on to? That book will become a scorn to you. You'll take out your little black highlighter and just start crossing things out. Well, this is different. That doesn't apply to me. That, that, this isn't really actually lust. That's not really bitterness. I don't really love money. I mean, come on. No, that, that book will become a scorn to you. Your idols now are going to become the things that are pleasant in your life. We talk a lot about how lust brings false satisfaction, but what about, what about bitterness? You ever, you, ever, you ever imagine conversations where you, like, you, you finally like, tell that person what's up? Right, and you know, how, it's like this, like, yeah, it just starts feeling good. That's what I'm going to say to them if I talk to them. That, that's scary stuff right there. That's your heart being taken over by the flesh. That's you just bowing down to that idol of bitterness and being right and whatever. It's scary stuff. Anger. Those, these, are, these are scary things. God may give you over to that. If you hold on to that, that will take you off course quickly. Sin becomes pleasant. It brings, it's soothing to, to picture those conversations. You feel like you did something. So now your sin is comforting you. Behold, your God. That is your God. And we ought to be on guard against becoming stiff-necked or hard of hearing. So, so what do we do? Here's the good news. Okay, we have good news here. Are we, are we ready for good news? I'm ready for good news. <laughs> it's important for us, first of all, to have a little caveat here a distinction Uh, the the hardening and this complete giving over to sin and this desire in a total way that Stephen's talking about as well as what Paul's talking about in Romans a way that leads to total destruction as you talked about with the Gentiles in in Romans chapter 1 that warning in that total way I I would say is primary for two different types of people one people who are clearly non-believers God is saying look I'm giving you an opportunity to turn to him you, you say clearly you don't believe in Christ. I'm giving you an opportunity to trust in him. If not, God might give you over to that forever. So that's one person. The other person is the people who are outwardly professing Christians. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I went to a youth camp or I did whatever and all this stuff. And I go to church once a year, twice a year, whatever. Whatever that looks like. But they might not realize that they're actually not circumcised in their heart. They're not born again. They profess... They say, with outward, I've, I've, I've built these things with my hands. Look, here's the things I can point to to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but inwardly they are not born again. So that warning of this total potential giving over to ultimate destruction is for those two people. Now, for believers, for born-again believers, this warning is still very real to us. Still something that we need to very much take to heart for a number of reasons, but it's not effective in totality like the way I just mentioned. So when I'm talking about you maybe potentially as a born-again believer falling astray, having your hard heart, stiff neck, if you are born again, you will never, ever, ever be given over to those desires in such a way that leads to your condemnation. That'll never happen. Okay, so that's, that's good news number one. 
So, but the person that thinks they are because of something they do with their human hands, but their hearts are not circumcised, their ears are closed, their hearts are hard, they're living in sin, pursuing worldly things, they don't desire the word, they think they're okay, this is a clear warning to them. God may at some point give them over to their desires. So he's saying, don't stiffen your necks. Don't stiffen your necks. Don't harden your heart as in the days of the rebellion, the days of Moses. Now, for the professing Christian who is truly born again, this warning is real, but is different. You too, you can wander as a Christian. You can pursue idols and sin. You can be deceived. You can be hardened, blinded, defeated. You can chase your desires and your bitterness and your envy and your anger. And God may also allow you to get far down the road of sin, down a road of hardness of heart, down a road of destruction and death. But if you are his, If you are born again because of God's love for you, because of his strength and his promises, because of the work that he has done in your heart, because he is the one who has circumcised your heart, because he's the author and the creator of your faith. Think about that. You realize that God himself is the author of your faith. You're not the author of your faith. You 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 don't build your faith with human hands. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of your faith. So if that's you, you can rest assured he is the author. He's creating this. Even this this wandering, you can trust always that he will always be with you because he is the author. He's the one who is writing the story of your faith. So so yes, you can wander, but like we sing, and we're going to sing this song after the sermon, his, his goodness his goodness is like a fetter. A fetter is like a shackle that goes around your ankle. It's chains. Pick, picture God's behind you, and you're trying to walk away from it, and you see all this lust of the flesh, pleasure, all these things. You start running towards it. You can get pretty far, but all of a sudden, you know, it's like really sad when a dog does that, and they run, they don't realize they're on a leash and whatever. And all of a sudden, you just fall to the ground because his goodness is like a shackle on your ankle. He won't let you go that far. Now, you can get far, and I don't know how long that leash is, and it's different for everyone, different for every situation you find yourself in, you don't want to see how far it is. You don't, because you can absolutely change the course of your life by going down that road. The good news for us as believers is we'll never get to the end of that road because his goodness is like shackles around our ankles. So our sin can bring about, though, temporary destruction, It can bring all kinds of pains to our life as believers, misery, brokenness, and it is awful, it's destructive, but the good news is that for the born-again believer, it is only, those pains will only ever be in this life, and that's it. And he will somehow also ultimately use it for your good. So even though you will fall, your faith will not totally fail if you're truly in Christ. So, So how do we, what do we do with this? How do we get ourselves off that path of destruction? How do we turn our stiff necks? How do we have our hearts circumcised? We start by putting off what is part of our old sinful self. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Romans chapter 1, don't walk as they do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding because that's what they worship, right? They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their, here it is again, hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up, right? They've chased this thing. 
They've ridden the waves. They've given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Now, here's where Paul says, assuming, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So assuming you're born again. Right? So Paul doesn't assume, actually assume that, that the Ephesians are. He goes, this is, this is the caveat. If you are born again, if you've heard about him, were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, then you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we start by putting off it's our old sinful self. We reject it. We confess it. We turn from it. We acknowledge it. This is bad. I'm a stubborn guy. I'm bitter. I'm this. I have to put that off. And then we have to be renewed in our minds. Our minds need new desires. We need new affections, new loves. We don't want God's word to be a scorn to us. We want to start loving the word of God. But that's something we can't just make happen. Only God can do this. So what do we do? James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, draw near to God, and guess what, church? He will draw near to you. <laughs> Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, so you can wash your hands, you can change your behavior, but you can't soften or purify your heart. God has to do that. Only God can change the heart. So what we do, our part then, is we confess. We draw near to God. We look towards Him. We ask Him to help us put this off, this old simple self off, and we ask him to put on the new self. So let's get back and we'll close on this. Let's get back to our raft picture here. We know we can't just drift. That doesn't work. We don't want that to work because God might give us over to those waves, the desires, temptations. We can't paddle, right? That, that's just, that's exhausting and you'll never get to that island. Here's what we do, and this is how sanctification works. Justification's instant. That's something that's only the Lord's. Sanctification, we, we partner with the Holy Spirit. We have to actually act and obey, but we do it with the power of God, with the grace of Jesus. So here's what we do. We put up a sail. All right, so you have to make the action. You have to, you have to draw near to God. You have to make the action. You can't just trip. So you're going, I'm going to put the sail up. Now, you put the sail up, that's great, nice job, but you can't force the wind to do whatever, right? You have to, just, you have to wait patiently for the wind. You wait. And you don't give up after five minutes. You don't give up after 10 minutes. Your life depends on the wind to get you to that island. All right, so that's why we sang this song earlier, I will wait for you through the storm, through the sea. So we, we diligently, faithfully, we say, in faith, I'm putting up this sail. I'm opening up the word. I'm going to confess my sin to a friend. I'm going to acknowledge my bitterness. I'm going to acknowledge. I, I can't change my heart, but what I can do is I can confess. I can, I can open my mouth to the Lord. I can pray, and I can just say, God, here's my sail. Would you please send the wind to empower me to get to that island? And we just, we wait. And sometimes you, you seem like we just wait for hours or days or weeks, and nothing changes and we're frustrated. We're still dealing with the same sin. The waves are still knocking us over. But we wait patiently with that sail up on that raft saying, I know the wind is going to come someday. 
I can trust that the Lord is going to send this wind. And then that wind comes. And now all of a sudden, you're, you're working with the wind. You want to go straight line to the island, but the wind is coming this way. So you've got to figure out how to, how to go navigate this thing. And eventually, as the wind carries you, and you are, you're part of this whole thing, the sanctification process, the Lord just doesn't automatically do these things. We actively take part in our sanctification The good news, though, is that it's not all on us. It's not just paddling through the waves. No, the power comes from the wind. The power comes from God's grace, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to at least do, as James says, we need to draw near to God. We need to do the things that start turning our just, even if it's just our eyes turning towards the Lord, our necks aren't moving yet, the wind comes in, all of a sudden our our neck loosens up. Romans chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold on to that sail without wavering. Don't put that sail down. The wind will come. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Don't give up. Wait on the Lord. Christian, in faith, we draw near to him, even when it feels like nothing's happening. Remember what Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Put that sail up, even if it's a whimper of a prayer. Just a whimper of a weak prayer. You do that, he will not turn his back on you. He won't. He, he, can, he can handle your weakness. He can handle your frustration, your angers. He can handle all of it. The, just a whimper of a little tiny sail up. The wind can catch that. It can catch that. Wait on the Lord. Don't harden your heart. Don't stiffen your neck. Let's pray. Father, as we just consider um, our lives and um, the ways that our our hearts are are active in our life, Uh, there's oftentimes so many things going on in our hearts. We know that it, uh, it can feel very overwhelming when we're just battling wave after wave after wave after wave, whether it's sin in our lives, whether it's temptation, whether it's desires, tough schedules, tough events. Give us the wisdom, the discernment to know how to just pick that sail up. On those days where it just feels like things are hopeless and we just don't know what's going on, it seems like nothing's ever going to change. Seems like we'll never get to that island. We keep just getting toppled over in that raft. Sharks circling around us. It just seems so hopeless. Give us the faith to lift up that sail, however small that sail is, and help us to wait, patiently wait, not let our hearts grow cold, calloused, where we become stiff-necked, and we start looking at those waves and go, oh, maybe I'll just ride the wave instead. This is, this is hopeless. I'm not getting anywhere. 
Don't let us be like that, to chase after the desires in our hearts. Allowing your word to become a scorn to us. Allowing your people to become a scorn to us. Help us, Lord. Reveal to us the ways in our hearts that are impure, that are drawing us away from getting to that island. And we thank you, God, for the great truth, the good news, that for those of us who are in Christ, we know that your goodness, not our goodness, not the strength of our paddling, but your goodness keeps us always and forever attached to you. You won't let us drown. You won't leave us alone. You'll always be with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You'll be with us through the storm, on the sea, walking us through the valley of the shadow of death, walking through the sea, even though we cannot see your footsteps. We know that you are always, always, always with us. So help us, Lord, for those of us who have gotten off the right path, we've allowed some of these idols, these lesser things to draw us away. Help us to acknowledge these things and just raise the tiny sail that just starts with confession, starts with just acknowledgement, starts with, with prayer. And let us just be standing firm in our faith, holding up that sail so that it can catch that wind, the wind of your Holy Spirit, the wind of your word and your promises and your grace that it would take us towards the shore. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your promises. Your promise that you're going to finish the good work that you began, that you authored in our life. You are the author of our faith, and we love you for that. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.